The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Sequel Quest, episode 120, a sequel to Jordan Peele's Us. Welcome to Sequel Quest, the podcast where Adam, Jeff, and Jeremy invite you on a cinematic journey to create prequels, sequels, and reboots to your favorite movie franchises. Joined by special guests along the way. Sequel Quest is go for long, so let the adventure begin now. Hey you, it's us. No, not the murderous doppelgangers in red jumpsuits. Us, the Sequel Quest podcast crew. And we're coming at you today with what promises to be a very interesting discussion about a filmmaker who's making serious waves and changing the tides in the world of cinema. But first, let me introduce you to the panel of movie make-believers tonight. Definitely the dad who will gleefully rent a rickety motorboat on a family vacation at the dismay of his <laughs> wife and kids. It's Jeff. That is an actual accurate statement of myself. Thank you. <laughs> and encouraging you to check out Jeremiah 1111 with his little piece of cardboard. It's Jeremiah. Okay. <laughs> Slight stretch. And you'll find me rocking out to I Got Five on it during my next road trip to Santa Cruz. I'm Adam. And returning to the show tonight, a woman who recognizes all the dated movie references related to Home Alone and Micro Machines. It's Judy. Hello. Now, Judy, as we are living in this moment of upheaval of the world in general and, and cultural change as it relates to, to Black Lives Matter and that movement, you had actually encouraged us to take some time to focus on you know, how movies can make a difference and change perception, molding a more positive, inclusive attitudes in society. And obviously you, as someone who grew up loving cinema, going so far as to getting a degree in the study of that particular art form, what's on your mind well yeah i think it's a time when a lot of people are open to finding out ways that they can learn things that they maybe have overlooked or realizing they have blind spots in books or videos or instagram influencers they follow like and just realizing a lot of us have kind of without realizing segregated ourselves or just kind of, yeah, not taking any extra steps to expand our own horizons. So it's a good time when people are thinking about what they're consuming and how it may affect their own perceptions of the world. And so, yeah, it seems like a good time as any to, you know, watch a film by a black filmmaker with a black cast. And not that Jordan Peele is, like, unknown, but still someone who's worth talking about yeah now i know that judy we were talking once about jurassic park 2 the lost world and we were kind of making fun of the movie because you know it, it wasn't the most well-received film and i in particular was always a little confused by the character of ian malcolm's daughter in that film who was able to do gymnastics and kick a raptor and so to me, from my perspective, I was always looking at it as like, hey, you know, this is outlandish that they decided to take it in that direction. I remember at that time, you mentioned how important that character was for you just in terms of representation of seeing, you know, a young girl your age who did gymnastics like you and uh, getting to have that, uh, that kind of heroic moment. So where do you feel like you have had that type of experience of late or are those experiences few and far between watching movies and things like that? Yeah, that's a good question. The character as written in the book, I believe is 
assumed to be white. I don't remember the book as well to say if they had that in there that she was black, but just that the fact that they decided to make her black. And, you know, for me as a kid, that was really impactful because I had grown up watching science fiction and fantasy movies and those always tended to be white dudes. And so that was really exciting to me. Just like, oh my gosh, like that could be me. Like I could actually be this person. I don't have to like do all this mental editing to imagine that I'm in this adventure. So I think for me, there's been a few times where that has happened. I think Black Panther was one um, just because, you know, in the context of a Marvel movie. So there's a lot of fantasy going on, but you had, I would say four different female characters represented in that movie quickly gave you a range of characters where you have oh you have the scientist and she's young and fun and then you have Okoye of the Dora Milaje she's strong she's a leader and you have the queen who's you know, regal and matriarch. And then you have Lupita Nyong'o's character, who's a spy and she's the love interest, but she's not a damsel in distress. So that was a really cool recent one for me where it was like, oh, cool. Like it's not just representation of like, oh, there's a black person or a black woman, but like, whoa, like there's like variety here. Like you can really start to appreciate that there's more than one way to be and more than one type of black person to represent. So that's exciting to see that happening more and more, that it's not just a token black character or, yeah, a stereotypical black character or the supporting, you know, the friend, like just the friend who says quippy things. So that's really exciting. So, Jeff, I'm curious to get your perspective on this as well, because I feel like when faced with that concern, if someone brings up, well, you know, am I represented in entertainment, whether, you know, it's it's racial or or what, what, you know, however you identify with your religion, whatever those things might be. And I think as is generally spoken you know, of late, you know, women in general are also getting a chance to maybe take more charge. The Me Too movement was a big part of that, just making essentially white men who have been in power for a long time and saying, oh, okay, now this is, you know, it's been this way for too long, it's not okay. And the people who are taking advantage of things and trying to get away with bad behavior certainly were, were brought to task. But for those of us who are maybe not... not not trying to do bad things, but like you said, maybe have blind spots. Sometimes you're like, well, I, I'm very inclusive and I understand things. Like Jeff and I, you know, where we grew up was a very diverse city. You had Persian people, you had black people, you had Asian people, you had, you know, you, you had a, a great mix in our, in our schooling and, and growing up. And when I think about that, I say, well, I don't think that was ever a concern for me recognizing that my friends, like my best friend in elementary school was black. And I, I never saw like, oh, is he seeing himself in, in TV or cinema or the, the games that we play or whatever it is, you know, and, and I never had taken it into consideration if that mattered to him or if that was a, a concern to him. And Jeff, I don't know for you, did those types of things uh, ever cross your mind growing up or was it just like, oh, kids are kids. These are my friends. I didn't think we were worried about those things. Right. Well, and that's, it's been one of the things that's been interesting for me is because you're right. Like from my perspective, I initially would agree with you, Adam, that it, it felt like, especially at our high school and stuff like that, I would have described it as diverse, but especially recently, like in hindsight, and it's something that I remember, like Judy told me one time, is she, she said that like even at, at the church that we went to when we first met, which was a, a pretty large church, we have a room of maybe like 950 
people in it. And she said that I know I'm going to be the only person who looks like me. And not that I necessarily feel like everybody hates me, but it's just it's that's just a, an experience that I've experienced. And for me, it was thinking about like at my middle school, like and I went to a smaller middle school, there were literally two black boys in our entire school, or at least our entire grade. And I don't know that we looked at them any differently. But I do know that unless you're literally blind, you know that their skin is a different color and that their experience is going to be a little bit different. And for me, that's been kind of that that eye opening experience is that it's and it's the same sort of a thing that like if you tell a story from a or and I'm not agreeing with this. I'm just saying that this is kind of a, a cultural like uh, um, studio idea. If you tell a story about a white man then white men and women will be okay with it, and uh, black men and women will watch it. If you tell a story about a black man, then white people won't watch it, but only black people will watch it. Same thing if you tell a story about a woman. Women will be into it, but men won't. But if you tell a story about a man, then men and women will both. It's that sort of a that sort of a thing that I do think leads to that sort of representation. That's what I think is really interesting about the movie that we're talking about tonight is I don't think it's as overt as some of that. I mean, we've talked before about like one of my favorite movies, Crash, is much more overt about race and about interactions and stuff like that. But one of the things I was reading about us is that it is a very rare horror movie, especially the horror genre, where the entire main character cast is a black family. That is a that's a pretty unique scenario, and I think that was one of the points that uh, Jordan Peele was going for. Yeah, I mean, like to me, like that that has so much value, and I I would say, you know, again, as as a white man, when I look at a film, for example, by Spike Lee, I know that there is a message there. I know that there is a point of view there that he is a hundred percent trying to get across that I may not be able to relate to, and and a lot of times that you know it, it can come at me as as a message and saying, well, is it saying that I'm bad because I don't understand that? Like, and so there might be like a dissonance there. And yet, when you say there's a film that it normalizes that type of family life and that, you know, like to, to a point where it's not saying not drawing attention to it at all. You're just saying, hey, here is a normal family in America having this experience and it could be anybody, but it's a black family and you don't see that often. Like that is so valuable that you, it's almost, I don't want to say it's subliminal, but it's something where it's just like, yeah, it doesn't need to draw attention to itself because this film is so well made and it is so right. well written. And then you're just like, wow, this is a great movie oh and it also happens to have these uh things that you can take from it on many levels that's just one i would say uh th that us has to offer yeah i would say that every movie every show everything has a message and sometimes the filmmaker isn't even aware of that fact like oh you know a lot of times they have a point of view they're trying to convey but there's also messages that are being conveyed and taught that are not spoken because again it's it's what we start out with normal so you're talking about normalizing black families i think that's great like we should see more depictions of black families and all the different varieties that they can come in and combinations and there's a there's a whole lot to be mined there but yeah just the idea of what is depicted as normal in a movie where they don't need to, they don't talk about it because the filmmaker didn't even think of like oh like 
I don't need to explain the fact that this is a straight white man. Like that doesn't need more explaining, right? So just what we, what is, what is the baseline that's set as normal in our movies and in our shows? Like that's really crucial because again, it's not put over as like, this is a message, but we do learn things and we're picking up data. And if we're not aware to examine even those things, then that's where, yeah, you can get some, you can get stereotypes, you can get minimalization of other cultures and other voices and yeah just creating this idea of like what is normal what's just a given like oh yeah well this experience is just a given everyone has the same experience and it's like well that may not be true that's why having diverse voices is important because then we can realize like oh this is a baseline set as normal and that means everything else is abnormal so we we need to watch out like what we're calling normal and what is needs to be normalized well, and it's, it makes me think of, on kind of a side uh, idea, is, Adam, you remember our friend Evan Brashear, who shares the exact same birthday as the two of us. Evan was one of uh, our gang that was in theater, and he actually went to, I think, uh, University of California, Irvine, to study theater. And I remember he eventually left the theater and joined the Peace Corps. And he said, because one of the reasons is that he saw theater and movies and stuff like just not changing anything. People can watch a movie, but there's this disconnect and people don't actually change. So he joined the Peace Corps. And I've thought a lot about that. Because shortly after I remember talking with him, I went to Scotland uh, for a vacation, and it was fascinating to see what the movie Braveheart had done to the country of Scotland. Like, it changed the course of history for, I mean, not just telling about their history, but it the this one movie, like, reawakened their, their sense of national pride, and they ended up, because of that movie, it led to various changes in their government and stuff like that, because... I definitely wrestle with this as a movie fan where like I remember again as much as I loved Crash I remember talking to some people that watched that movie and that were like wow those people were really racist and I'm like oh my gosh you've missed the point like it's it's supposed to be out about a mirror that's looking inside and so for movies not that I, I don't know that us is necessarily Jordan Peele's attempt to change the world but I do think that like movies maybe from a subliminal perspective at least have the ability, and like like Judy's saying, it could definitely go in the other direction, and it has, re like establishing those norms. But to challenge those norms, to do some changing on the on the subliminal side, I think is something that is is achievable. Yeah, definitely, and I and I think you know certainly with his you know breakout film, you know with Get Out. There was a much more overt, I think, uh, message worked into his his science fiction concept in there. At least that's the way that so many people were taking the film and why it had such an impact. So now that when we get to us, I, I think that we, we get a film as, as we start breaking it down here that is so well crafted. I mean, to me, like, I, I think that greatest compliment that I can ever give a film is I remember every single scene in that movie. <laughs> wow. That's, that's good. That's yeah. Good. And I only saw it once for this show. I, I didn't see this in theaters. I don't, I don't watch like new horror. I don't watch Blumhouse films. I don't go, you know, and, and see them, but eventually I'll catch them on iTunes or whatever. You know, I'll download them and take a watch. And so for this show, I, I did that and I was just like, wow, like I, I kept saying, am I going to go back and watch it? Am I going to go back and watch it again? And I was like, I know I could, and I would get more out of it. But at the same time, it, it was so finely tuned and everything paid off and everything 
you know, every character was so distinct that I was just like, wow, yeah. it, it's just burned into my brain. And I, I just say like, wow, that is a powerful filmmaker. Jordan Peele is those, you know, professionals now in the industry that it's just like, yeah, every one of his movies you're waiting for. It's like a Hitchcock, you know, it's like now you used to be M. Night Shyamalan and then we're all like, ah, oh. maybe not so much. And Jordan Peele now is kind of like, you know what, let's see what he does his third time out and so on. That's a pretty, I didn't think about that. That's a pretty good analogy that it's like, because that was my thought that especially for, for someone that you wouldn't really expect I mean, I think that was the thing with Get Out, too. I don't think we expected that out of Jordan Peele. And then to follow it up with this, like, I, I, a lot of the reviews that I read said that, like, well, yeah, this it's the sophomore curse is broken by, like, he's he's still got it. And for me, like, what was most impressive, and that's where I think, again, the M. Night Shyamalan comparison is really solid, because... Going in, I had seen the trailers and I, I, I kind of had an expectation of like, okay, it's going to be this creepy thing where there's this like group stalking them and apparently they look the same or they're like twins or something like that. And like that was not the movie that I got. I mean, because that, that moment happened like a third of the way through and then the whole rest of the movie was after that. And, and it was just, yeah, it was really impressive to keep me guessing and not by just throwing different tropes at me, but literally by doing like doing something different. So I'm curious for you, Judy, uh, what was your experience like seeing the trailer? Like, was this instantly something you wanted to check out or what was your, your thought process as soon as you're saying, okay, what's this one all about? And then what was your reaction having seen the film? Yeah. I mean, I thought it was, I thought it looked interesting. I don't watch horror movies as a rule and Jeff can attest to that. I get very jumpy and it just True. doesn't really go well for the aftermath. So, so yeah, I don't think I've watched any horror movies in a theater. So it's for me, like I have to watch it at home and then afterwards watch like an episode of Parks and Rec or something to like calm myself down. But because of Get Out, you know, obviously we knew he's an interesting filmmaker. So I thought it looked interesting and it looked scary. So it was to me just kind of like, okay, I definitely want to know, you know, what's going on. What's, you know, what's the explanation? Like, why are, why are there doppelgangers running around? But yeah, for me, I don't watch a lot of horror, so that's tough. So I have to like <laughs> really work up to watching anything that's remotely scary. But yeah, I mean, because of how, how much he was able to put into Get Out to make it more than just a horror movie... You know, I think I was interested in that. And I think it's interesting because I actually had a class when I was in college taught by Scott Derrickson, who, you know, is the director of Doctor Strange. And at that time, it was way pre-Doctor Strange, and he was doing horror movies. And he was saying that one of the reasons why he likes horror movies as a rule is because it allows you to explore things beyond the material world. It allows you to kind of take people in different places because they're like, okay, so, you know, there might be a ghost in here or a monster. <laughs> so you might be more open to kind of accepting the reality of the film where there's like, oh, this is happening. And so when this is like, okay, there's doppelgangers. Like, all right, once you accept that, then he can throw a lot more stuff at you. And that's how you get these really layered movies where it's not just like, okay, there's a monster. It's, there's deeper meanings that you can add in because you're working on kind of like a different 
plane. So I think that's interesting. And it's interesting what Jordan Peele does with that extra layers that, you know, he could put anything he wants in his movies. And I find that he's so far really exploring social issues and he does it really well. Jeremy, we know you don't like scary clowns, but (laughs) where do you fall in general on horror suspense? Yeah, not really my forte either. From time to time, a good thriller maybe, but not so much the blood, the gore, the the horror. Ah, man, it was uh, it was tough to get through this one. Really? <laughs> really? Because I would describe this as more of a thriller. Like there wasn't a lot of blood and guts and gore, and not even as many jump scares as I was expecting. Like I felt like the jump scare happened at that third way point, and then at least for me, it was definitely tense and it kept me going. So for those who have not seen the movie then, Jeremy, why don't you give us a quick plot synopsis and then we'll start breaking it down even more, some of our favorite scenes. All right, well, it's obvious we are talking Jordan Peele's dark horror flick, Us, set potentially within the same universe as Get Out. There are some lingering ties there, potentially. So starring Lupita Nyong'o, Winston Duke... Yaya Abdul-Mateen, Elizabeth Moss, Tim Heidecker, Shahadi Wright-Joseph, Evan Alex, and a whole host of others. Not far from the sun-kissed Santa Cruz Beach, where she had a traumatic childhood experience, the now mother of two, Adelaide, reluctantly returns to their serene lake house with her husband Gabe to spend the summer vacation. However, after all this time, Adelaide still can't shake off the ominous feeling that the terrifying encounter with her bizarre doppelganger will somehow come back to haunt her, not only her, but also her unsuspecting family. Indeed, before the end of the day, the happy holiday makers will see their worst fear come true as an evil quartet who bears an uncanny resemblance to them stands in their driveway. Then they pull out their sharp scissors. What do they want from them? Ooh. Yeah, so again, I, like for me personally, I did not see a trailer for this. I didn't know anything about this movie other than hearing on other podcasts, not even movie podcasts. People are like, did you see Us? Wasn't it great? Oh, yeah, yeah. But they weren't giving any details. Like, I didn't know anything about this movie before going in to watch it. But Jordan Peele had me from the word go in that initial scene of an old 80s television with a bunch of vhs tapes (laughs) around it and i'm just like okay you get me jordan peele i mean i already knew you guys did with the gremlins 2 sketch on key and peele which is my absolute favorite but i was like you made this movie and i'm gonna i'm gonna be latched on to everything you're doing now i'm gonna (laughs) look at every single corner of every frame and i want to see what you're up to well so along those lines so did you see then because like i don't know if i'd call them easter eggs did you see what the the vhs tape was right next to the tv yeah well i saw several of them so which one which one is the one that stood out there was a steve martin one that was right the man with two brains yes oh i didn't see that one oh really oh okay which one i have that one i in my collection (laughs) so that's why i I recognized it (laughs) the one that i saw was chud cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers yes underground dwellers so there you go so already from the beginning if i would have seen that then that would have been like yeah that so it was interesting kind of giving us those little clues right off the bat also a nightmare on elm street which i I thought was interesting because you know their weapon of choice ends up being scissors and they have a glove on one hand and so i was like oh okay so i read something because i i kept trying to figure out why are they wearing red jumpsuits with a glove on one hand and the thing that i read said that the only like outside influence that they had that we find out at the end 
was Adelaide coming in with the T-shirt of Michael Jackson's Thriller. So mm-hmm. they're dressed like Michael Jackson's Thriller with the glove on one hand and the, the red for the jumpsuit. Right. Yeah. Although the Freddy Krueger analogy and the scissors, because the scissors I didn't quite understand, but is that a Freddy Krueger illusion? It seems like there should be more metaphor there. Well, so this is my understanding, and I have to admit that after watching the movie, I had just ha- so happened to have uh, made a, a donation to one of my favorite movie podcasts I know Jeremy listens to as well, Now Playing. And as yeah. a bonus episode, they happened to give me a review of us, and I didn't realize that that was going to be a part of the deal. So I was like, perfect <laughs> timing. So they broke down a lot of stuff in, in there. And one of the things, this is what I don't, I don't, think this is mentioned in the film but maybe i missed it but that the doppelgangers are referred to as the tethered have you guys heard of that was that a takeaway at all from the movie or is that jordan peele talking after the fact no she did mention she that's what she called herself okay red did yeah Okay, yeah. So so that so that was something I felt like the scissors again being the instrument of killing, you know, your above ground counterpart was you were cutting that tie, you were cutting that tether. So I I thought that was the symbolism of the scissors. Okay, I can get it. <laughs> I don't know if you guys agree or not, but I thought that, that, well, that's the reason for it, I guess. But let's talk a little bit about the amount of time we spend getting to know Addie and her family, because man, that is some strong writing. I mean, that is just, you love everybody in that family and you and you get them so, so clearly. And I think that is Jordan Peele's, like, again, in Get Out, that was the same thing. It was like, the characters felt so real, not the bad guy characters, <laughs> the, the good guy characters characters you're just like wow it's just it's such natural dialogue it's it's so much humor that plays in and it just endears you to them so much were there any standout moments i mean jeff i referenced <laughs> your role as a super dad and it seemed to be that's what winston duke was playing yeah i love his role like he he was just especially he was such like and i i think i even leaned over to judy and i kind of said like that would be me and like not only <laughs> just gabe's like i got a boat but even just like his his i don't know his style and his way of doing it he was delightful yeah i really liked him a lot and you know obviously judy mentioned black panther earlier i didn't even connect him you didn't oh no. really I, I didn't even recognize I mean, he did he didn't have his furs on you know he didn't have the whole <laughs> look you know and so he was so outgoing but he wasn't as gregarious you know as he was in black panther so i didn't it right. didn't even he was he just was his role and i'm just like i'm totally uh, enraptured in in what this family's about like i would have watched the movie without the horror element that it was just their vacation and i would have enjoyed <laughs> it i mean i was just having such a good time yeah it does seem like someone could easily mine the film and make a new trailer that's like almost like a family comedy like oh dad not the boat again just like all that stuff but yeah i agree i thought winston duke was really great in his role and i even mentioned it while we were watching it to jeff the scene where the doppelgangers first show up and he keeps going out there with the bat and he, you know, he's, it's interesting because he does this code switching thing kind of where he puts on a tough guy voice and threatens them with the bat, but then they move and he's like, oh, no, no, no. And he runs inside. <laughs> and I just thought that was like so good in terms of the writing because I just hate in movies. Usually it's action movies where you have someone who's like, 
I work in an office. I'm just an analyst. And then suddenly the CIA is after me. So I'm going to leap from building to building and like jump out of this helicopter. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Where did this person get these skills and bravery? Like there's no pre-existing reason why they should be, you know, this action hero. And it's, it was just felt so right to have him be like, I'm going to get the bat and threaten them. And then as soon as they move, he's like, oh, actually, I don't have this in me. I'm not someone who's going to be fighting random people in my yard. Like, I'm going inside. So I thought that was really good. I thought, yeah, I mean, I think the cast was amazing in general at bringing those characters to life and then having to reboot and play different, like, weird versions of themselves as well and thought that was really interesting where you could see the characters that they established that they take all this time to create in the beginning then when the doppelgangers show up and it's like this kind of yeah like she explained like it's it's like you but it's you without a soul and so all the kind of things that you see them being get stripped away or get morphed in a way so it's really fascinating so like the dad who's like you know hey you know big personality is reduced to just this kind of shouting monosyllabic thing. And then the daughter who's been totally a normal teenager, just on her phone, you know, not exactly like wanting to talk is now smiling at everybody. And like, you know, it's like, Oh, this is the opposite. I don't like it. So yeah. So I just thought that was really interesting how they, you know, in the performances, and I'm sure in the writing as well, were able to bring that out. So, Jeremy, when the doppelgangers show up at the door, did you just go around locking your doors, making sure you were secure in your house at that point? (laughs) Yeah, weird premonition thing, though. I had a weird dream last night where a bunch of people that I knew had keys and were told they could move in. It was a really weird dream. So I was having flashbacks, and I was not a fan. That was really working on you, okay. Yeah, no, but I did like the face-off scene between Jason and Pluto. Yeah. And them sorting out how they could manipulate the situation between being tethered. Yeah, that was a really interesting kind of situation. I gotta say, just Pluto with his mask on, to me, was scarier than the burned face. Like, everybody was like, oh, yeah. burned face! But I was like, right. he's got that mask right. on! Looking scary and just, like, crawling around. That was really intense. And so, Jeremy, yeah, like you said, you put you on edge, but for, you know, Jeff, Judy, did you feel scared? Because for me, because there was so much comedy at the beginning, and even, you know, throughout the rest of the film, it undermined any sense of horror or i I don't want to say danger because i still felt the stakes but i wasn't as jumpy i guess you would say just because i kind of felt safe in the world because of the laughs that they had provided so what what was your guys thought about like tone wise for the film see i thought that scene where where they actually catch them which by the way i just want to point out jordan peele totally ripped off me that was my idea with rake man that rake man doesn't move either <laughs> and it freaks people out so he must have been at that that haunted house in in Downey. but was that so that first scene was definitely like they start banging on the door and then everyone gasps and then they 
coming through this side, and then you see the one climbing up the, the tree. But for me, after that point, again, I didn't feel like there was a whole lot of jump scares, intentionally so. Like, I didn't feel like they could be anywhere. They're around any corner. Like, the closest was when Gabe was on the boat, and then Abraham falls off the boat, and then the boat comes back because it turns to the left and all that sort of stuff like that. And that was that, like, look behind you, look behind you! But it, again he's kind of subverted that trope of don't go in the door and and they didn't you know and so for me at least yeah it was more that different sense for me of being on edge he accomplished it differently yeah it was more adventure like it's less supernatural and more like oh okay so this is just like we got to get out of this situation well and not only that like for me where it took it to a whole nother level is that when and i even read somewhere is that the fascinating thing that the way he does exposition is he uses it in a bunch of different ways and he exp whatever exposizes um that this is not just this one family one, when Abraham kind of like barks out into the night and then it's returned. And two, then when we see uh, Elizabeth Moss and, and uh, Tim Heidecker getting killed, is that like, whoa, this is like apocalyptic now. And then they even say we got to go to Mexico because it's literally like this is the apocalypse. Like the world is over. The the tethers have killed everybody. And they, they kind of show that through the, the news reports and stuff, which yeah. t- changes the tone for me. It turns more into a world war z in some ways right that's where it brought it back for me like that's where the doom was i'm like oh no so it's just like it's everywhere it wasn't just addy's family and you're like oh wow well i was scared a lot but that's (laughs) how i roll in general when she like tells the daughter like go and run and then chases her around that car and then on the boat and then at elizabeth moffa's house like whatever so I, i was scared a lot and i just am always scared anyway but i think for me one thing that i thought was like one of the sources of like the scariness of it i guess you could say like it's that feeling of discomfort where it's like why is this happening it's unsettling but not necessarily like you know in terms of a horror movie like it could have been much more gory or like over the top but there's just that unsettling feeling of like why is this happening it's it's just so strange and there's a feeling of like if i can just understand why this is happening then the unsettling feeling will go away but that's not how the movie went Mm -hmm. and the more you kind of like understood then there was just it led to increasingly unsettled feeling and so some of that is just like yeah what the explanation for it all ended up being but i think also it's just that uncanny valley of like okay these are people who look like them but not quite so it's just off like if they had looked and acted exactly the same it would have had a very different feel of like i don't know almost more science fiction of like i mean obviously they're violent so that does it but yeah that unsettling feeling that any of us would have it's like when you look in the mirror and you're like oh dang i have something on my face and i did not realize it just that unsettled feeling of the uncanny that weird not quite real or a little off from real yeah, just that that creeping uneasiness. Yeah, exactly. Like you say, you keep waiting. I want the explanation. I need to know. I need to understand this so I can wrap my mind around it. And it just, they don't want to deliver that. They keep piling on the changes. I, I gotta say, like, as a parent, really the only thing that scared me was when Jason goes wandering off and then Addie's freaking out because she's already on edge being there. And then the fact that he just wandered off towards that. I mean, she doesn't know where he wandered off to, but just in general, the idea of losing your kid like that. That was like a real world, you know, not even horror related 
scare. I was just like, oh, yeah, okay, so that one got me. Well, I felt that at the beginning, too, when Adelaide wandered away, and then, yeah, the dad wasn't paying attention or whatever. See, I got distracted because there was so much atmosphere in that oh. scene of her flashback, <laughs> and there was lightning, and it was so dark there and creepy. Yeah, the 80s, and it was like, but it was so stylized that I was just like, okay, this is artistic, so it didn't feel real to me, so it didn't feel scary to me, but with just the families just at the beach, I was like, okay, I, I get that. But I'm curious also for you guys, the whole scene when they finally go underground, we get to see, you know, partly in flashback and partly just what it's like down there, and understanding the tethered and how their existence was, that they were living like people that were up above, yet they were not actually experiencing it in the same way on the same level but they were going through the motions like there's there's just so much to that what did, what did you guys think about that particular scene well one and i think jeremy mentioned this before too is that um for me that final duel between Adelaide and Red was phenomenal. Like, and I remember saying, like, the I don't, I don't know if Judy and I agreed on it, but at least for me, the way that he intercut the shots of her dancing and the way that Red was just kind of dancing away from all of her her attacks and stuff like that, that was breathtaking. Um, and for me, it's all kind of tied to, like, actually kind of tied back to the, the, our last question, too. Is it so for me... I don't know that the movie itself scared me as much as that sense of unease that stayed with me afterwards, because I think I think I don't like movies where the bad guy wins. And what really stuck with me was at the end, I was like, but did the bad guy win? Who is the bad guy? And the more and more I was thinking about it, I'm like, are the tethered actually the bad guys in this movie? I'm not necessarily saying that the people living above the ground are the bad guys, but like that whole scene that you're talking about, Adam, really made the sympathy and compassion and pity that I had towards them, towards so even figuring out Adelaide's big secret. It's just like, could you really blame this little girl for not wanting to grow up this way and having an opportunity to escape? Is she actually a bad guy? And that's maybe even creepier than the alternative. Yeah. We talked about Shyamalan, you know, there was our twist at the end, but yep, it worked yep. so much better. I mean, it was one of those things where it's just like, okay, yeah, because it does leave you having the philosophical discussion now where you're like, okay, so did we have a hero or were we just watching a story with two different sides and either who do we relate to the most or how do we come to terms with what is occurring? Because, yeah, like, even with the end itself, we see that, okay, Addy was actually, you know, the doppelganger who, you know, attacked the original, you know, to then uh, took her place. But then at the same time, you realize, okay, but nothing got resolved because all the tethered are still up there holding hands, doing their hands across America thing right, right now. And there's no resolution to that. And you're just like, oh, wait, right. okay. So we got a reveal and then it's over. And then you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> there's yeah. so much more to be said, which is what opens it up so well for uh, a sequel in our, our discussion tonight as we move forward. Also, what was the message or theme of this movie? Right. Because basically we have the tethered, which are the have-nots, and those who are their doppelgangers, the ones that are on the surface are the ones who have. And yeah. so you have the haves and the have-nots coming to blows, basically. Yep. And 
Addy became one of those that was on the top, top side. She was living the life. She had privilege being on the top side. And there comes a point in the movie where the tethered realize that they are no longer tethered to the surface and can act on their own. And that's when they all come out and begin taking things over. Hmm. Is it? I don't know, because if they were no longer tethered, why was Jason still able to control Pluto? Well, there's that. Uh, A few different Mm. podcasts have been talking about that and debating it. But with Jason, that brings up a whole nother can of worms there. And also Pluto, because they're both, in a sense, kind of biracial, because you have the normal people and the clones, and Addie and Red were switched. Oh, I get it. So they're part human, part clone. Both of the kids would be then. And so they are tethered, I guess, more uniquely than all the rest. Okay. I hadn't even considered that. (laughs) Yeah. And my thought, like, kind of going to both of the questions, and and in some ways it almost makes me think of The Matrix, the first one, because the thing that I thought was so fascinating and well done about the first Matrix movie is that if you wanted to watch The Matrix as a simple sci-fi action movie, it let you do that. Like, if you didn't want to ask any of the deep philosophical questions or really delve into the world, you could enjoy it just as like, wow, they got superpowers from a computer, huh? Cool. You could do that. And I think... I think that's kind of what he did with this movie, where it's like, if you just want to understand, there's these evil underground dwellers that want to kill everybody, and you got to escape from them, like, he kind of lets you dismiss it that way. But I think, like you're saying, Jeremy, there's a lot. I mean, like for me, my thought initially after watching it, especially because, you know, we've been in these conversations for weeks now, is that this was a movie about privilege. Like you said, this was this was a metaphor for privilege. People that already have like things that not that they've earned it necessarily, but just by luck and just by where they were born and just by all of this stuff have certain privileges that they then make the choices based on, you know, their situations and that those that don't have that, like make different choices. Well, uh, and that, that explains how Addie, as we know her is able to, as one of the tethered and as a clone to develop speech and everything is because she's exposed to culture and dance and all of the creative things and that question of, like, the original Adelaide that goes down and lives with the tethered becomes one of them. So it's yeah. it's almost that question, if you took someone with privilege and took those privileges away, would they behave the same way? Like, would they, is, is or does the privilege change things? And guys, I have to say, I think what it really all comes down to is that Addie got to see Home Alone. And yeah. so, you know, that, that cultural touchstone. And Micro Machines. Yeah. Yes, and micro machines. I mean, that that was probably the best moment in the movie for me. When the kids go, "What are micro machines? Pretty- What's Home Alone?" I mean, that was that was fantastic. But yeah, um, Judy, did you have any other thoughts that you wanted to share? Yeah, I think what you guys are talking about, I think, really does capture. I think what Jordan Peele was trying to say. Like when I was watching it, I thought this is like a analogous of slavery. Like to me, actually. That's what I thought. Okay, we have a class of people who we create a category for them. And not that even everyone was aware of what was happening in the movie, but they are kept in a state of just degradation and deprived of 
rights and privileges. And as a result, they seem to be unhuman or subhuman, or they come out looking so different. And I think that was the point is that it was like, yeah, that they just wanted what everyone else had. They were told they don't have souls or whatever, but how were they any different from anyone above? Which is, you know, when the girls switch, like that's what you can see. It's like, well, they're not really that different. So I think for me, that was kind of like an interesting way to explore that idea. And also to me, the ending with all of the doppelgangers holding hands and stuff, I was explaining to Jeff where I feel like, again, it's like privilege of like one of the things she saw or understood before she was taken underground was that hands across America is some beautiful thing, you know, that says America is coming together. It's a show of how great, I don't know. um, I don't really understand what it was supposed to be, but you know, it's some like positive thing. It's bringing us all together. It's very like symbolic of like, you know, how America wants to view itself. And so I think that's why she wanted the doppelgangers to do that, where it was kind of like, okay, now here we are. We are the new America. We're doing this thing that is so representative of like an American ideal of we're all together holding hands, some sort of unity. But at the same time, it's like, it's a farce (laughs) because Hands Across America didn't save the world or America like it kind of like happened but it wasn't you know I don't think any of us today are like oh well when hands across America happened that's when America really turned a corner and became this different place like you know it wasn't this thing that delivered this amazing change so it is kind of like this thing about privilege where you know we're striving for things and the only thing she knew to strive for was this ideal but it's also kind of a lie like and so that's why I feel like why it ends where it's like okay they did it they held hands like now what like because what do you do now like what did hands across America do like that was kind of it they held the hands and that was it so I think that's kind of interesting that it leaves you with that of like now what like you you got what you wanted I guess but is this really like as good as it could be like you know, in the sense of like, yeah, what what is the promise that we're all striving for? How much better could it be? So, um, so I thought that was, yeah, it's an interesting movie. There's a lot of layers. Yeah, really. Like, you know, I, I wasn't able to rent it. I had to buy it on iTunes, but I'm glad I own it. Because, yeah, you could go back again and again and just dig out the layers and dig out the, you know, especially, you know, we didn't even mention it, you know, but obviously this dealing so heavily with duality and just visually, there are so many cues to indicate the nature of duality in the film. So that's that's just a whole other uh, discussion to, to find all the Easter eggs and point all that out. So if Jordan Peele or some other filmmaker, maybe he's just producing and passes it off to one of us to make the movie, if we want to try to answer that question then as to, you know, what happens next, I think it's it's a good time for us to get into our pitches. Jeff, you want to take it away? Sure. All right, so I'm going to go with Us 2, T-O-O, and it's going to be one year later. The Tethered are still living above ground, and there is an uneasy peace between the Tethered and those that survived their move to the surface. The Tethered, however, many of them are still struggling to speak English. They're learning, but they do already have the ability to communicate with each other, which we find out. However, some are choosing not to learn English at all. In fact, there's one Tether who would have a name. I 
I didn't come up. I'm not great with names, but anyway, he would have a name, and there would also be a name that the some sort of slur that they would refer to their doubles as, and that he he keeps bragging about how he killed his double because tethers are stronger and tethers are better and tethers are more worthy to be, they don't call themselves tethers, but whatever, they would have their own name, are more worthy of the surface than, than the others. He's, he's, he's even moving towards, if not killing all of the doubles, forcing them to go below ground. On the other hand, this other tether that we kind of meet, um, he and his double actually unite and they come up with a better solution that actually by working together and by getting to know one another, they can interact. So literally the person and its and its double uh, kind of like team up to work towards how we can bring our people together. Uh, but two camps of the tethers, not just the tethers, start to form. There's actually an anti-tether movement that comes from above grounders that are saying that no, like tethers all need to be either killed or thrown in jail or thrown back below ground. So there's kind of these these different camps that are forming and these conflicts start growing. Uh, and finally, I would see it kind of reaching a peak where the, the two tethers that are kind of leading these two movements come into conflict with one another. And the one that, that is, is uh, bragging about killing his double and saying that they're stronger attacks the other group's leader. And as they're doing that, the double from the surface, the human or whatever you want to call him, some form of jumping in the way or whatever sacrifices himself to save the tether. So then that happens. Uh, there would be like this big moment of the, even the supporters of that first tether start turning and, and kind of seeing the, the fact that like, Hey, like these people, these above ground people, maybe they're worth saving. Maybe they're not, they're not all as evil or as, as unworthy as we, as we have chosen them to believe. So then in the second half of the movie, then it kind of uh, uh, shifts. I, I had just, for, for lack of a real name, I just called the name, the, the tether J, but whatever you're going to call the lead tether, whose double just sacrificed himself, they come up with a new proposal or he, I guess is double is dead but comes up with a new proposal called the trc the tether reconciliation and care plan and that what they're going to do is they're going to allow and actually they're being inspired by why, what nelson mandela did in south africa this idea of reconciliation where tethers either face their doubles or if their double died or if the tether died then facing the family and both sides tell their stories confess their injustices and are encouraged to apologize. And that's the plan, and that, that starts that starts happening, but it's not going terribly well. The Tethers have a long list of injustices. Obviously, the above-grounders have all of the murders and the, the, the death that they... There's not much forgiveness happening or for either side. Um, and the, the turning point, or really the climax, comes where Adelaide slash Red shows up, and she volunteers to take the stand essentially because at this point she's an enemy of both the above grounders and the tethers and she confesses in a kind of like a tearful recount of of her her life and her experience and why she decided to turn away from this life that, that she had this opportunity and yet that she was so afraid of losing it that that's why she killed red and her whole family and all that sort of stuff like that and just her like heartfelt apology, essentially, I would see this kind of moment of having one tether stand up and just say, like, I forgive you. 
And then another person would stand up. Maybe this time would be an above grounder would stand up and say, I forgive you. And then this wave just kind of starts going. And then the camera would kind of pan out in a similar fashion where instead of the hands crossed across America, the idea would be that forgiveness is then spreading across the land as the credits begin to roll. So light on the horror. I see. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. It's more, I almost picture it somehow like the warriors. I don't know why the beginning feels like the warriors to me. And then the second half feels like Nelson Mandela. (laughs) (laughs) Quite a mashup. Interestingly enough though, my pitch deals with possibly some similar themes and structures because my pitch is called us and them. T-H-E-M, you know, it's an acronym here. So, in the wake of the tethered coming to the surface to kill and take the place of their independent or indie twins, the world is in chaos as these synthetic humans have no path of another to mimic, simply holding hands across the United States and waiting for instruction from the leader of their revolution, Red, who was killed by Abby in the last film. A paranoid survivor and wealthy businessman named Patrick, who managed to kill his tethered twins sees opportunity in this and begins rounding up other indie survivors in an attempt to create a new world order, raising up a few selected survivors as his generals. Patrick and his team begin espousing their quote, necessary plans on news stations and gain a groundswell of support for their protection services offered to those wealthy enough to hire his team to hunt down their tethered twins before they come for the kill. Taking on an image of brute force and power, the task force is named THEM, which stands for Tethered Hunt and Elimination Mercenaries. Responding to the panic in the world around her in a different way is an Asian-American woman named Natalie, an orphan herself who realizes the tethered aren't evil, just embittered, abandoned children who have never known kindness. Noticing that they are dropping dead in their human chains from malnourishment, she organizes survivor groups through social media to go out and convince the tethered to break the chain for food and provide education, which catches the attention of Patrick, and he invites Natalie to join his supposedly refocused and more altruistic initiative, now being called them standing for Tethered Health and Education education mission. Throughout the course of bringing the tethered in for speech therapy and encouraging basic self-motivated activities, Natalie becomes emotionally attached to a tethered boy she names Bobby after she teaches him to interact with his indie twin Robert in a playful and non-mirrored way. After this successful experiment, Natalie realizes that she has not yet encountered her double, though she has scoured the database of registered tethered refugees to find her own face for many weeks. Meanwhile, Patrick has successfully lobbied surviving lawmakers in Washington to enable the tethered to assume control of the property amassed by their above-ground twins who are deceased, often at the hands of their tethered devils, and then works with a lawyer to have the tether sign over their rights to the them organization under the guise of protecting the assets until the tethered are educated enough to enter the new society. Of course, his intentions are much more nefarious, and part of his plan to set himself up as a dictator in this new society that he is fashioning. Natalie, of course, eventually discovers this and confronts Patrick, who shuts down her questioning by revealing that she is implicated in all of this by birth. So, what is Natalie's connection to the origin of the Tethered? Will she lead an uprising to take down Patrick's them regime? Find out in the next chapter of Jordan Peele's sci-fi epic, Us and Them. It's also a little bit light on the horror here. (laughs) Heavy doses of the postman. 
<laughs> the postman. Right, right, right. So it's more of like a... Post-apocalyptic political allegory. <laughs> all right, all right. It's highfalutin. So, Jeremy, did you come up with one? Well, sort of. It was more of a prequel than a sequel. It's a prequel that is tying in the connecting threads between Get Out and Us, the Red Alchemist Society. The descendants of the Knights Templar, who have continued their quest for immortality by the way of brutal and archaic medical procedures, along with advancements of science over the centuries, and have led to both the brain transplants of the dying into younger bodies and the cloning program, which led to the creation of the Tethered as a way to control the bodies of those on the surface until the program was abandoned leading to where we were left at the end of us. That that definitely feels like questions that need to be answered. Or do they? Because artistically, does it take away the mystery and and the, the years and decades of discussion that will follow this film? Well, I mean, it would have to be paired with another societal commentary. Yep. All right, well, now that the pitches have been said, here we go. Where are we going with a sequel to us? Jeff, where is your vote? Yeah, I I have to agree with Adam. As much as I am interested in kind of like the behind the scenes, sort of like what's going on with this society, I, I would rather leave it more of a mystery. And so... Moving forward, even though Adam, you kind of left us hanging, that I'm not, I, 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 I would need more information at some point. But I do like this idea of what would society look like in the aftermath of the tethered. So I'd go with Adam. All right, Adam, where's your vote? Yes, I, I am torn because you know there is a a whole heap of mystery there, and it's like, yeah, can you can you really get a, a satisfying explanation for what the tethered were all about, what led to them getting abandoned, or yeah, do we take Jeff's approach where we see oh there's these different groups and and they have their different ideals that they're sticking to, and and to me that uh, Jeff's pitch just seems to fit the universe a little bit more closely because it it is digging into deeper social themes so I, I feel like i would have to vote for jeff in this one all right so it's splitting the vote here so i need <laughs> i need what is the core message in your pitch just give me a brief core message from both of you because that's the only way this gets made in the jordan peele universe here i'd say mine would be reconciliation. All right, Adam? And mine is a a commentary probably on our our current political climate, I guess I would say, is do you take the belligerent route to reach people and get people on your side, or do you try to make a difference in the world and influence the world for the better through kindness, through understanding, and which can win out in the Mm. end? Will brute force beat back, you know, kindness and understanding in the end? So, yeah, that's my theme. You know, Adam's is more persuasive, he so talked will, for longer. Yeah, he yeah. did talk for longer. <laughs> but I still feel his plot no, there's true. there's enough there that we can we can work with. I, right. I wasn't sold on, on Nelson Mandela versus the Warriors or whatever the feel you had going there, Jeff. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Although I, I should point like like the first half are very similar, like you said, Adam, with the whole it's not necessarily because I, I think you were doing it. You're doing it from the perspective of the survivors for the most part, whereas I guess I did it from the perspective of the tethers. Mm-hmm. But very similar still about yeah aggression versus kindness. 
Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think yours would have been fascinating even from the perspective of what if because they were so nonverbal as they were represented in the original film, it's a year later, but for those that are not, you could have just some pretty interesting scenes that are not having the explanation through dialogue. And I think we can work that into into this one as well. Well, and that well, was my thought too, which again yeah. could play with what you're – because like – for, for me, as I was thinking about, like, civil rights and stuff like that, is that, I mean, you go back to the 60s and kind of the, the classic perspective or whatever, not that it's necessarily historically accurate, but is that at least what I learned from X-Men is that just like you had Professor X and you had Magneto, was they were based on Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, where mm-hmm. essentially it was these two societies can only exist separate. They, there's no way that they can be together, whereas, you know, Professor X and Martin Luther King believe that, like, coexistence is possible. So along those same sort of lines, yeah, to have this idea, like, that could even work into the same thing with Patrick and Natalie, if that fit. So should we just mash your two up? Well, no, Adam won the vote. Uh, yeah, that's fine. I was just pointing out the similarities. Cool. Yeah, so it might not be all that different. We can take slightly different angles that you went, and and maybe it's even a a movie where we're following both points of view. Like it doesn't have to be the the one point of view versus the other, but we can see it from both sides. It's basically what we're doing right now in the world is everybody is in their their echo chambers, and to see a movie th- only through the point of view of one of the two groups would be counterproductive to what we're trying to figure out here. Well, it'd actually be interesting to turn this into an Us trilogy so you get two movies taking oh, place yeah. in the same timeline. And so you have, you know, the one that, is, again, from the perspective of the survivors, and then you see what was happening from the, you know, unless, oh, what if this was a split screen movie? Yeah, and and Gosh. you were literally like the entire movie. It's an art. It's an artistic <laughs> experiment. Hobbs and Shaw here. Yeah, <laughs> that would be an interesting way to take it. So you have again because you could literally watch one movie which is dealing with the survivors. Ooh, that no, you know, I get what, it now. Yeah. So split screen, like, but following two parts of one person. Exactly. It's and so mm. it's something along those lines where you have what's going on with the tethered, and so it will sync up. It's almost like you know, Wizard of Oz, the Dark Side of the Moon. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it syncs up, but it's its own thing. But you play them side by side throughout the film, and and it, it could be distracting. But I think if once it plays out for the first five or ten minutes, that people get into the the visual language. Yeah, of the film I, and understand I don't know. it. I don't know <laughs> if you could really do that, Adam. Um, well, because Jordan Peele could do anything. <laughs> it's true. What was that movie they did where it was it was four? They did four. That was like 10, 15 years ago, and there was four different movies going on at the same time. Well, were they all know. on the screen at the same time? Yeah, they split the, the screen in four parts. Yeah, I I don't know. How do you listen to it? What is it? Right, got to, it's exactly. got to be subtitled or something, right? Well, but that's kind of my it. point. Is that is that the tethered side would almost be a silent yeah, film? That's true. Is kind of the point. Like there would be moments where it syncs up, where it is the same scene. You know what I'm saying? And like they literally are divided by something. You know, the survivor perspective on one side, the tethered on the other, and like so there will be those moments where it crosses over, but then it goes back into its separate story. Come on, guys, we we got to take it to the next level. We got to get people in theaters with a, a unique experience. I mean, we're not talking the the jets and the sharks here, Adam. Um, <laughs> 
man, I mean, with trying to do something this intensive, you would want people focused. And I think it would be too distracting to do split screen. But I think you could get away with doing one act, first act, one of them, second act, the other, and the third act is where it all culminates, where it comes together. Sure, sure. Take away the fun. But that's fine. Right. I mean, like, <laughs> I think, well, and again, that because that was my thought, too, is that if we're talking Jordan Peele, like, I feel like most any idea that I come up with, I'm going to feel like he would do something It'll be inferior right yeah 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 so to say like all right here's this is beyond our comprehension about how to pull it off <laughs> maybe maybe like especially because i think it would well and that's the thing that it does seem like he does really well is the kind of like the coordination to to um yeah of dialogue so that somehow you could follow both at the same time I'm not sure he couldn't do that. Yeah, I, I feel like because of how well he structured this film in particular, like I say, how so many things that were set up paid off, and really plot holes are not in this. There are some things that are unexplained, but they're not plot holes. I just feel like he has the ability to, again, like give us something unique in theaters and, you know, just in filmmaking that we haven't seen before. But I think the main thing for, for me, like, you know, if we want to get out of the technical side but story-wise i will reveal that you know again is natalie implicated all this by birth right as patrick says the idea i had was that her father was probably the lead scientist who had been you know brought in to to create the the tether to create the clones and mm. he had sent her away obviously to protect her and knew that it was going to go wrong and so that was kind of you know i felt like it would actually tie to jeremy's pitch whereas right. wherein the, there's some sort of prequel explanation you know where you get a uh, at least a tease and maybe not even the whole story but you get more of the story and so that that was kind of my thought process there so in a way it really does get a chance to kind of bring a, most of all our ideas together were there any things that you guys felt really needed to be changed or that you needed clarification on because i i do feel like this needs to stay open-ended just like the original film as well i don't think we wrap it up neatly yeah i guess the only thought for me was just and again this would be more like advice for the director but wanting especially because of like the subtext of what we're talking about here is that not like the danger with the patrick and natalie dialogue or mentality is it still kind of has that savior mentality we're the ones that have to fix this problem we're the ones that have to come in and fix them so to give them more faculty i think that would that would be of value and so like even like you're saying like if if that revealing who she is and all that sort of stuff like that i mean that could lead to some of the the reconciliation i was talking about or or, or something like that or that where she joins them to fight against patrick or something like that yeah because because it, it still presents them as the other and it's just like yeah it's it's not good it's better to have you know a member of the tether to become a a major player in the story that helps to move things along or change things you know right 
Uh, Adam, did your pitch at all touch on, I, I guess, how the court system's going to have to deal with, like, all of these murdered people? Well, well that was the thing, and I, because I, that, was, that was my initial thought, and Patrick, I said, like, he is successfully lobbying lawmakers in Washington that allows, like, okay, you know, if, you, if you're uh, a tethered and your double is dead, then you technically are them, so you can assume control of their property and assets, and yet you are not acclimated to you know the above ground world so he's like saying, oh we'll take care of them we'll we'll take care of all their things while we're getting them ready to uh, to live their new life and to to have their choices and freedom and everything else you know so that was kind of the concept behind that that it would but, be but what about know... the dead bodies like <laughs> these people did murder like slaughter people so what are we doing with these people? Right, but it's also like, but they're themselves. Like, is there a right. certain thing of like you killed yourself and <laughs> there's no, like, what are we charging you with? Suicide? I, I don't know. Like, this is kind of a, a plot hole in yours, Adam. That well, no, 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 but that's my point. Like, because it's a crisis mode, he's streamlining all of that legal concern and everything. And he is, because again, like the world is just in chaos. So he is trying to say like, no, 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 we're going to smooth everything over. We have the solution. Just trust us. We're taking care of it. So the lawmakers say, yeah, you know, we're just, we're going with their plan. He's helping to acclimate the tethered. So technically he's in charge of the tethered. And therefore we're just going to let them have what's left because what, what going to happen if, if they did kill their double they were temporary insanity whatever you know is going to be blamed on it in legalese they're just like yeah we're just we're moving past that we want to get on to a peaceful existence now in this new world is kind of like how that is not a plot hole because like it's literally people just say yeah 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 let's just figure out the solution and we'll accept it and a any plan right. you have right now because right. we don't know what well, to do and here's the ironic part is that this is the challenge of our time right, right. is that if we exactly. figure out the solution how we we can all live in peace. Don't tell somebody, please, because, <laughs> oh my goodness. But we want those quick answers. We jump we to the thing we, we think has, you know, it has the solution right. and it doesn't well, and work. Was, it's humanity. That was even something I was reading about. I was, what, six years old when they did Hands Across America. <laughs> and they said that, one, I guess it's viewed as a success, even though they raised $35 million, but it cost $19 million to pull it off, was the idea that, like, it was supposed to be, look, we're all united, we're all together, racism is dead. And it's just kind of... That was part of, I think, the reason he used that, where he's just like, <laughs> remember when we thought that? Come on, people. But yeah, I mean, like you say, Jeff, I, I think that is just the, the question of our times, and we address it, and change comes a little bit, as it can be. And so, again, thank you for uh, encouraging us to take a look at this film. I think there's a lot to be learned and enjoyed and considered, again, for, for many years to come. So we'll be enjoying that. And, of course, we have many more hours of entertainment to bring you on Sequel Quest in the future. So keep watching uh, the retro network feed but also jeremy you want to tell them where they can find sequel quest these days well if you're a longtime follower you might already be subscribed to the sequel quest podcast feed on your podcatcher of choice we have revived that feed and all of our podcasts will be hitting you right in the ear holes from that feed as well as if you want to stay subscribed to the trn feed and get all the various shows that fall on that network go right ahead subscribe to both listen to both have some fun with it well until next time who are we we're americans
<laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> A little creepy. Well, that was the goal, I suppose. Yeah. We thank you for listening to this episode of Sequel Quest and invite you to continue the fake movie fun on social media. Submit your ideas for future episodes to sequelquestpod at gmail.com or askupod on Twitter. The films and characters discussed on Sequel Quest are the property of their respective studios and license holders. No copyright infringement is intended. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.